0: Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region.
1: Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. In late April, for the second time in four months, Russia convened a multi party meeting of defense and intelligence chiefs attended by Syria and Turkey. This time, Iran also participated. And the main item on the agenda has been the Turkish insistence on military presence within the territory of northern Syria in order to fight Kurdish separatists who are also resisting the Assad regime. Obviously, Russia wants the Syrian front to quiet down with some economic benefits for Damascus while it is occupied in the Ukraine war and strengthening its ties with Iran. To help us break down this complex relationship and perhaps throw the United States, NATO and Israel into the mix, we are joined all the way from Washington, D.C., by retired Colonel Dr. Rich Outson, who is a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council, who formerly served as both a senior military and civilian advisor at the U.S. State Department at the Office of the Special Representative for Syria, among others, of course.
2: Thank you.
1: Also joining us from Istanbul, Turkey, is Yusuf Arim, who is a TRT World Editor at large. Thank you for joining us as well, Yusuf.
3: Thanks for having me, John.
1: Indeed. Also joining us at uh, the studio here in Jerusalem is our TV7 Editor at large, Mr. Amir Oren, host of Watchman Talk, Powers Play, and Play, so much more. Amir, set a stage for us.
0: So in the Middle East, um, no party uh, is ever running only one game at a time. It's like simultaneous chess. And um, in addition to the uh, parties which you mentioned, Russia, Turkey, Syria, Iran, of course there are the United States and Israel and Jordan and Iraq and others uh, who are trying to take part in um, various um, games. And um, I mentioned that because while we were focusing on what you uh, referred to, the Russian Syrian, Turkish, Iranian talks. Turkey came out with an announcement regarding the killing of an ISIS uh, leader, uh, which made the United States happy, and perhaps the the Syrians too. So uh, we have uh, a very cl- complex situation here, mm-hmm. whereby uh, Turkey would like the um, uh, Daesh, the ISIS forces uh, uh, to be vanquished. Uh, the Americans would like that too. Turkey is, of course, a NATO member of good standing. Yusuf would obviously uh, sing the praises of this uh, alliance membership. But also, we see that um, in the Ukraine war, it started with Turkey supplying drones to the Ukrainians, which tricked havoc with the um, Russians. But nevertheless, There is another side relationship between Russia and uh, Turkey. And to sum it all up, each side wants to come up with the best possible outcome. It will never be the maximum position. It will be optimal. These talks, as well as similar talks in Amman, Jordan, with Egypt, Iraq, and others, about calling Syria back into the fold of the Arab world. This is all part of the trend of trying to pacify the Levant.
1: Very interesting indeed. I'd like to bring uh, Mr. Ermin to the fold. Could you set the stage for us from a Turkish perspective? Were things currently standing, particularly on the fact that uh, the Assad regime has been a pariah uh, in Ankara's perspective for quite some time? And just recently, I mean several months back, it was President Erdogan who came out and said, we would like to see a certain normalization, of course, uh, not ruling out anything. And it are the, uh, even though it's more in the interest of the Syrian regime at this stage, it seems like the Syrians are very hesitant and are more going behind Russian uh, leadership into what are Moscow's interests in this equation.
3: Well, first of all, I wouldn't like to use the word normalization. I think right now, uh, any type of first step, uh, at least for the Turkish side, would be establishing dialogue to be able to accomplish uh, transactional, uh, policies that are of mutual interest to uh, the regime in Turkey. I think normalization is way, way, way down the line because there are uh, very important issues that uh, are long-term issues that need to be resolved before we can really talk about some type of normalization. Uh, one Number one being some type of guarantee for the 4 million uh, Syrian refugees in Turkey. Uh, that being said, uh, any type of deal that could have been struck uh, before elections uh, probably would have been more favorable to the Turkish side, uh, especially favorable for Erdogan. But now with elections well, a week away, basically, uh, there obviously won't be any deals struck before elections and anything after elections. Uh, the Turks will be a lot more patient with and uh, expect uh, more uh, coming out of the Assad regime, especially on uh, Turkish positions. They'll expect uh, uh, more compromises from uh, the Assad regime. So the timing wise after elections will be on uh, more in favor of Turkey. Now, uh, as for the U.S. position uh, regarding what's been going on in Syria, I feel like the U.S. has been uh, without an objective for quite some time. And uh, being without an objective uh, has really left the Turks kind of beholden to uh, the Russians in that area. Uh, the uh, minimal U.S. presence there, uh, not really strong enough on the ground, but Uh, enough of a presence to be able to hold the area that they're in uh, has left Turkey in a tough spot. And we've seen Turkey talking more with the Russians regarding what's happening on the ground. Uh, One of the positive parts uh, from a Turkish perspective is the normalization with Israel. And why is that positive? Well, Turkey has always had uh, its foreign policy built on balance. And uh, throughout the Arab Spring, having uh, the relationships with Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Egypt, and Israel fall apart at the same time, left Turkey without a counterbalance to Iran in its foreign policy portfolio. So uh, while it was not beholden to Iran, it didn't have a counterbalance in its portfolio to be able to sit down and uh, construct policies with. So this wave of normalization in the Middle East over the past uh, year or two has strengthened Turkey's hand versus Iran as well. So Turkey is going to be patient. Yes, it wants to see security and stability on its borders, uh, but not at all costs, definitely not at all costs. And that's something that they're going to continue negotiating with, uh, probably under the Russian umbrella for some time before we see direct face-to-face talks with the Syrians.
1: Indeed. Dr. Autsen, I'd like to hear your perspective on this as well. From an American perspective, however, uh, the U.S. administration's subsequent administrations, if I may add, are quite connected in all that it has to do with uh, policy vis-a-vis the Assad regime. Nobody wants to see uh, the Assad regime walk away without basically paying for what it it conducted over so many years. Uh, And uh, as such, looking at the Middle East, the sands are shifting. Uh, Obviously, uh, having a NATO uh, ally, uh, as such as Turkey, which is so significant, strategically speaking, uh, from the alliance, uh, it seems like having this relationship with Moscow at the same time, also looking once again towards Damascus, is not really sitting well, particularly also with the Biden administration at this point.
2: I think that's right. There's a double dilemma for the United States. Uh, on the one hand, a dilemma that regards Turkey. Turkey is not only a NATO ally, but an a ally that has done wonderful collaborative work with the United States and NATO outside of Europe proper. So in Afghanistan for 20 years, the Turkish military and Turkish diplomatic uh, corps were there side by side with the Americans supporting the government of the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan, the previous government to the Taliban. Uh, they have also been engaged in Libya in, in a way that was positive for U.S. interests by killing Wagner Group. Uh, Russians were killed by uh, by Turkish forces and Turkish weapons in Libya, and the fall of Tripoli was prevented. And then there's syria where the preventing the fall of idlib which would have driven this is in 2020 would have driven a whole new wave of refugees into europe and led to a humanitarian crisis as well as a slaughter of civilians these are all things the turks have done that directly or indirectly poked iran and russia both in the eye and of course you've already mentioned the support to ukraine on the other hand the united states and turkey have been at cross purposes to a certain extent in northern Iraq and to a large extent in Syria. Why? Because we scoped our effort primarily after 2014-15 as a counter ISIS effort, whereas for Turkey there were several other concerns. There was the desire to create this safe zone, uh, to have refugees go back to, but also very much a, a focus on the PKK affiliates, the YPG. So Turkey's terror problem in Syria was not our terror problem and ours was not there. That's led to An impasse at the strategic level. The second dilemma that we face is that Americans, as you said, don't want to see Assad rewarded and they don't want to see Assad normalized. But on the other hand, a decision was made in 2013, 2014 and embraced by successive administrations, as you've said, that Assad is the devil we know and in some ways may be preferable to the devils we don't know. So the chaos that Washington has long feared uh, since 2013, 2014 of having this mishmash of different Islamist groups and ISIS. Hayat Tahrir Hasham, and so forth, is exceeds the appetite in Washington for political management. We're not certain that we could, frankly, manage the future post-Assad. So what we've done is we've de-scoped the mission just to remain uh, focused on the ISIS part. And as Yusuf said, the, the problem there is that we have just enough forces to continue chasing ISIS remnants in the east, doing it with a group that Turkey uh, continue, uh, considers to be a threat and a terrorist group itself. And there's sort of a conundrum. We, we don't want to get out but we're not going to put in enough muscle to fundamentally change the politics of Syria.
1: Indeed. At the same time, when we really look at the uh, Syrian territory at large, the various uh, groups uh, uh, acting there, uh, the territory right now, Idlib, is pretty much... protected, if you will, by uh, Turkey, not necessarily because Tahrir al-Sham is there or the other uh, terror-related organizations acting not only uh, at the behest of Al-Qaeda, but also the Islamic State. Uh, What is truly the fundamental challenge that Turkey went and then cut that territory in order to allow Uh, for dialogue with Russia, for that matter, which was backing Syria and was once again reclaiming territories, uh, which would have caused some strategic offset for NATO member states.
0: If you're looking for a common denominator between the four parties uh, we are talking about, it's regime survival and leader longevity. And it so happens that these are perhaps the foremost senior leaders in the Middle East. Perhaps King Abdullah II of Jordan uh, is also there, but uh, he is in another league. Ayatollah Khamenei, 1988. Putin and Bashar, 2000. Erdogan, 2002. You can't find more senior people. Of course, Netanyahu has been elected uh, originally in 1996, but he has been 10 years out of office. And, and uh, again, and for another year and a half, uh, uh, he had to vacate uh, the office before he came back. So these four, Khamenei, Putin, Bashar, and Erdogan, know the difference between what is essential and what is nice to have. And therefore, they can find very vast stretches of agreement for common interests, without stepping on each other's toes.
1: Indeed. Well, uh, Mr. Arim, I'd like to hear, uh, just roughly a week ago, a week and a half ago, we saw Hulusi Akar mm-hmm. and Hakan Figadan going to uh, Russia, at the, the uh, hosted by, of course, uh, Sergei Shoigu and, and the various team members of uh, his delegation, as well as the Syrian uh, Defense Minister and the Iranian Defense Minister and the, their intelligence counterparts, of course in a mix-up that ultimately was what? What what came out of that specific meeting that was so essential, uh, yet kept quite uh,
3: distant from the eye of the cameras? Well, first of all, I think that uh, from a Russian interest right now, obviously Russian forces stretch very, very thin. So uh, it seems to be a very high priority to be able to normalize and the Assad regime uh, from an interest perspective of Moscow. But again, as I stated, I I think normalization is very, very far down the line. I think right now, uh, the best anyone can expect is uh, to upgrade the dialogue on a transactional basis. And uh, that's probably something that Turkey would be interested in. Now, when we look at that meeting, uh, I think that's just one of many meetings. I don't foresee any meeting right now, at least Uh, without the presence of Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan being able to strike any type of major deal. Uh, These meetings would only set up a high-level meeting where the Turkish president would be uh, present and he would sit down and he would announce some type of major policy change on Syria or any type of process leading to a normalization. But uh, outside of that meeting, we saw uh, uh, regime-affiliated media talk about uh, the Turks agreeing or Uh, almost uh, agreeing to withdraw their troops uh, from uh, Syrian soil. But uh, we quickly noted that uh, the Turkish defense minister said that's definitely not an issue. They just talked about having uh, more talks and Turkey expressed their concerns. So uh, there is uh, no scenario where Turkey is going to uh, withdraw its forces from that region or uh, withdraw its backing from uh, the Syrian opposition. Because, uh, again, that would create a scenario where uh, the Syrian opposition would get slaughtered. That would create a scenario where there'd be massive waves of migration. That's not something Turkey wants. That's not something uh, the European Union wants either. So Turkey would uh, most likely receive backing from the collective West to be able to maintain its presence in that area, because it does serve as an important uh, buffer zone and filter uh, the Turkish border uh, as basically the uh, first and last line of defense for Europe. And they, well
1: they uh, let me follow up briefly when we, are looking at the, the Turkish interest in this equation. Ultimately, Iran is regarded as a rival, but at the same time, there are so many consecutive or subsequent meetings between Vushoglu and Hassan Amir Abdullah on multiple occasions where they're highlighting good relations and neighborly relations that are uh, yielding results. So uh, what am I missing there?
3: Well, I think when we look at what's happening in the field, uh, whether it be... Uh, on the Azerbaijan border, whether it be uh, in Iraq, whether it be in Syria, there's a much different story. Now, of course, top diplomats, when they get together, they'll highlight the positives and uh, they'll speak to the strength. That's part of diplomacy. But uh, if you remember, even on the last uh, visit by uh, the former uh, former top diplomat of Iran, Zarif, uh, even in his uh, closing speech, his in his last visit to Turkey, he said that uh, Unfortunately, our correspondence isn't what it used to be. So that even gave you a little glimpse inside of the uh, diplomacy between Turkey and Iran, that uh, it had definitely weakened uh, over time and that there are uh, many gaps. Now, that doesn't change the fact that there's a lot of intersecting interests. That doesn't change the fact that there's a lot of topics where both uh, countries need to be on the table. Just because they're competitors doesn't mean that Everything's off the table because uh, there are state interests uh, beyond government interests. There are state interests that are served by the diplomacy of both countries sitting at the table together. But again, I think overall, uh, the tension is undeniable, whether it be in Syria, whether it be in Iraq or whether it be on the Azerbaijani border as well. I mean, when we look at the recent comments coming out of Tehran aimed towards Baku, this is definitely something that does not make Turkey happy as Azerbaijan is probably Turkey's top ally uh, in the region. but. Uh, Since there are so many intersecting theatres for both countries, there's a lot of portfolios that get opened up when they both sit at the table, and uh, it allows for trade-offs in different theatres to be able to uh, mix and match interests.
1: Dr. Altson, from your perspective, uh, knowing how the, the system works in the United States, how do you see uh, Washington currently uh, at least from the current administration's prison uh, look at, at the region and not be dismayed from the current shift uh, shifts in the alliances and and everything taking hold uh, is there something that they should upon your recommendation um, potentially focus st- harder upon
2: right So. With regards to Washington's view of meetings like the one that we were just discussing between the, the heads of Russia, Iran, uh, Syria, and Turkey, there's a certain amount of tutting and uh, pearl clutching, we might say, because Washington still has an, uh, this idea or this general impression that diplomacy and geopolitics are a morality play, and that if you're really on the side of right, if you're really wearing a white hat, you're not going to talk to the bad guys. But of course, you talk to everyone. That's the way the world actually works. And so I I would not put too much stock in the sorts of articles that we see coming out that say, oh my goodness, Turkey's talking to them again. They're really not part of the West. Well, actually, with regards to Ukraine and several of the other conflicts in this region, it's actually okay to have somebody who has more than one leg in our camp as a member of NATO that can talk to these folks and, for instance, try to have peace talks with Russia and try to search for openings on Uh, some sort of a conflict termination in Syria. I don't think that that's a threat, I think it's an opportunity. Now with regards to Turkey in general and, and how it is viewed in Washington, and this is a symptom of how the Middle East is viewed in general, it's difficult. You've heard now for well over a decade, close to two decades, the desire to pivot away to Asia and to disengage from the Middle East. I don't think we've done that, but there's been a lot of talk about it. Why? Because it's hard. We went from the 90s when we had this unipolar moment and this transformative capability To make peace between Israel and the Palestinians, we thought, to bring democracy to Iraq, we thought, and to foster change in Libya, we thought, but it's all very messy. So after several failed wars, Americans rightfully have this desire to minimize our direct responsibility for managing this region. Well, what happens though is that sounds a lot to our friends like we don't have your back and we don't value you anymore. I don't think that's quite right either. I think we're still trying to figure out in Washington, trying to figure out the post post-Cold War Middle East, and it's multipolar, and it has friends who talk to our our enemies and adversaries. It has enemies and adversaries with whom we uh, have to cooperate and collaborate in certain cases, and it still has vital interests, and those we have to pay attention to. So I think from the point of the United States, we we want things to get better with Turkey, uh, both in terms of its uh, sort of domestic political processes and our geopolitical relationship. We want Israel to be secure, we're not quite in the same position that Israel is with regards to the Iranian threat. It's not as exist- existential for us as it is. But we have all the pieces required, in my view, to have a stable order if we recommunicate and recommit to working with allies, including both Israel and Turkey. It's a complex region. Americans are sort of tired of it, to be honest with you. But this is Washington, and in the end, we'll muddle through. Indeed. Mr.
0: Uh, Syria is the new Lebanon. Lebanon of the 1970s and 80s. It is sovereign but not really independent.
1: I, I'm worried to ask about if Syria is a new Lebanon, what is Lebanon?
0: Somalia. Okay. Um, uh, and f- uh, we, we just heard a few days ago um, an American statement calling on the Lebanese to get their house in order. It's been six months since President Michel Aoun has departed. Why don't you get some new uh, leadership without uh, corruption and all that? I looked um, again and again at the statement to make sure that it's Lebanon and not Israel. But yes, it is, it is Lebanon uh, regarding uh, leadership and, and other, other stuff. But going back to, to Syria, it is sovereign, but not really independent. And you have Turkey um, with its interests in the north. You have Russia along the coast at uh, Latakia and uh, Hamimim, the airbase. But, of course, it also wants to protect the regime because one thing is dependent on the other. You have the Iranians trying to entrench themselves, but they cannot do it in the southeastern part because this is Israel's domain. So um, the key word is coexistence. No party is going to have a perfect situation, but they learn to live with and along each other.
1: Indeed. Well, uh, Mr. Arim, I'd like to uh, point out that, uh, as you mentioned on countless times and also uh, during today's broadcast, Turkey and Iran are not aligned, and they, they can be aligned because they're regional rivals. At the same time, uh, Damascus remains an enemy and a reproach much far from uh, the the... Uh, near to medium future, uh, at least uh, within the current uh, uh, reality on the ground. And Moscow and and Ankara have been global rivals for time immemorial. So, again, uh, going back to this attempt to normalize relations between Damascus and Ankara under Moscow's uh, uh, mediation, what is true within this context, and, and why even engage in such an endeavor if it's technically not
3: visible? Well, first of all, I just want to comment very quickly on why Ankara and uh, Tehran can't be partners. When uh, two countries project power into the same neighborhood, it, it, it's impossible. It's impossible. And they both project power into the same neighborhood. They're both vying uh, uh, in the same theater. So that's why that relationship will never be any type of uh, strong partnership. It'll always end up with uh, competition. Now, uh, why does Turkey want a normalization or at least security and stability, uh, security and stability at least on terms that are acceptable inside of Syria? Well, again, many, many issues. Uh, and what can Moscow provide? many issues. Well, first being obviously uh, the presence of terror groups, uh, the presence of groups like ISIS, the presence of obviously uh, the YPG, which is public enemy number one, the number one national security threat uh, from a Turkish point of view. Uh, They do not want to see the YPG gain a foothold on the southern Turkish border. Uh, That's that's a priority number one. And that that's been uh, a dividing point between Turkey and the United States uh, throughout the America Syria campaign. Uh, again, uh, besides that, again, bringing home, uh, these 4 million, uh, Syrian refugees. Yes, uh, Turkey has been generous, but, uh, it's been over a decade now and, uh, Turks want to see Syrians slowly have a roadmap towards return, maybe not return tomorrow, but they want to see a light at the end of the tunnel and say, well, we're not going to take care of these 4 million people for, uh, the next foreseeable, uh, two to three decades. And right now there is no roadmap for return. So that's another very important interest as well. Uh, Also, again, uh, the power structure inside Syria, is Assad going to remain? Who would come to power? Is there going to be free and fair elections? There's a lot of question marks, and these types of question marks prevent Turkey from making long-term calculations uh, in an area where Turkey has a tremendous land border with. Uh, It's a very porous border. There's a lot of groups on that border that conduct illegal activities, uh, from human uh, smuggling to drug smuggling, the captagon trade. This is all of serious national security risk for Turkey. So yes, it is in Turkey's interest and probably having Russia right now as a broker uh, while there is no type of top level correspondence between both countries is probably the best uh, course of action for the moment.
1: Do you, Dr. Hudson, last sentence?
3: Well, I think uh, I, I agree with uh,
2: Yusuf about the incompatibility long-term of Iranian and Turkish goals and programs in the region. And Turkey has a very complex challenge in terms of the policy imperatives it's got between terror and humanitarian and so forth ultimately it cannot find a solution to those problems working with moscow and tehran why because those countries both like a fractured syrian state and ultimately turkey and the united states and israel i think need something like a more stable and hopefully a more democratic syria you've said syria is the new lebanon in some ways it's also the new iraq it's a contested area where the west is trying to reclaim a state uh, ultimately uh, to some semblance of, of decent governance in the international community. And Iran is trying to keep it weak, sick, and radical. Mm-hmm. We'll see how it all turns out. And I do hope that the U.S. does a little bit more in terms of producing their policy on it.
1: Indeed. Well, this is all the time that we have for today. So I'd like to thank uh, Mr. Erim, uh, Dr. Outson, and Mr. Owen for being part of today's panel. I'd like to thank all of you at home as well. And until next time, Shalom.